I'd be really glad if people will join in I and mean, ask questions and not making something clear ask me to clarify challenge me if you don't agree with what I'm saying anything as it comes don't wait till the end I mean I will do questions at the end if people want but I, it's helpful to me if people actually ask and say things during the talk because I can then begin to see where people are and what they're interested in because after all I can talk about different aspects of this and it isn't time to do everything so it's a question of finding out the sort of things that people are interested in Dion Fortune said that Sanskrit is the sacred language of the East and Hebrew is the sacred language of the West and I think that perhaps justifies the Jews attitude in which they regard their language and their alphabet, alphabet as being certainly different if not actually superior to others and whereas I wouldn't have agreed with that at one time having worked with the Hebrew the last few years I have to say I think they are right that it is certainly has a quality about it which is different from other letter systems and it has something about it which is um, dis yes, very important and it's so satisfying, it's a very artistic it's very satisfying calligraphically it's a beautiful thing to draw Hebrew letters whereas say Greek is the letters, the capital letters are comparatively boring and geometrical Hebrew is very, well as you can see particularly for instance Aleph, the first one as an example is very um, full of little curls and so on the letters are grouped in three three rows in the case of the Hebrew it's one to nine ten to ninety a hundred to nine hundred so each letter has a value, a number value which means of course there's a word in Hebrew and of course in Greek too has a numerical value or a phrase in Hebrew has a numerical value so the numbers are absolute dependent on the letter sign? Yes, just as one is. You can't, one in our numerology is one. It means unity. Aleph is unity in, and Alpha is unity in, in the Greek. Aren't there similarities between Hebrew writing and Sanskrit? Well, maybe. I don't want to get into Sanskrit, though. And there are no vowels in the Hebrew? Well, there are, but they're not shown in the, that way. They're shown with dot little symbols which are scattered among the letters. But as far as Gematria is concerned, it doesn't look at vowels anyway. It's the ancient Hebrew did not have vowels. Well, all I'm concerned with is saying is that Hebrew Gematria does not concern itself with vowels. It's only concerned with these 27 letters. In the case of Greek, it's only concerned with the 24 letters because Greek has lost three, three of the letters. Originally, like Hebrew, it had 27 by the time the classical period came, say 500 BC, three letters from the Greek had gone. So you could say it's defective. Uh, whereas the Hebrew, quite in the opposite way, started with 22 and ended therefore with Tav, that one, that was a, in the early Hebrew, that was the last letter. These five didn't then exist. Then Sometime before the Torah was written, which was at least 3,000 years ago, for some reason they decided to add another five letters. And the question is why? Because it doesn't help you to read it, because those five letters are duplicates of ones up here. For instance, if you take that one, which is final mem, that that is mem, that one there, but if that occurs, the mem occurs at the end of a word, then you would use that and not that, if that's equivalent of rm. Equally, with none, which we would equate with n, if that occurs at the end of a word, then you use that symbol, and that's equally with those other three. And I asked the chap who's a, who is a Hebrew speaker from China, first his first language is Hebrew I asked him why they did it you see and he said he thought it was because they um, wanted to end on an upstroke for a word but it doesn't make sense that because in fact these letters don't necessarily end on upstrokes anyway um, I, my belief is they, they had to add those five because 
they needed them for the purpose of what they were going to do and what they were going to do of course was write down what we call the Old Testament it was essential for them to have those 27 letters so they added those five purely for that reason so if you look at the first chapter of Revelation where it says I am Alpha and Omega the first and the last that is referring of course to the Greek alphabet in which that book was written originally and that's uh, I am Alpha and Omega the first and the last but because the Greek has lost that last letter it's not right because it isn't the last it's, it, there's one missing so the real, the best way to say that is to say I am Aleph and final Sadiq with the full number between the two that's the first one the first and the last Al- Aleph and final Sadi. now the reason why I'm quite sure they had to add the five is because of this structure here a man called Stan Tennant in the States uh, made this brilliant discovery that if you draw a cube which is what this is which is two by two by two then it has 27 points in it in other words there's a point in the cube for every Hebrew letter and if you start at right at the back corner this is a transparent cube so you can look through to the back here at the back bottom corner there is our Aleph where we start and it goes on to Beit which is the second one Gimel which is the third one at that top corner and it goes on four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and so on ending up with this last slot is right at the front here 700, 800, 900 so if that is one corner at the back where Aleph is then the diagonally opposite corner in the cube is there so you draw a line across inside the cube between those two that's the longest straight line you can draw inside the cube so in my opinion that's a very good reason why they should have added the five letters because otherwise this system won't work the irony is that Stan Tennant who discovered it is not the least interested in this he went off on some totally different line I wrote to him about this and pointed out that it was fitted so well with Geometria and he said oh I don't believe in Geometria or something like that he just wasn't interested anyhow it didn't matter to me because it was an absolute gift to me because it made the whole science of Geometria suddenly became clear because it's all based around this cube the other thing that makes me sure that it's right is that if you take each group of numbers say you take the first group of single figures they're all in that one plane of the cube facing that way the double figures are all in the middle plane dividing the cube into two and the treble figures are all in that right hand face and that again seems to me to be uh, pretty well convincing that what that is that's why they wanted 27 letters here we've got the same cube but I've drawn in a line between that corner in the middle and that corner in the middle because that is the number value of the man called a being called Bezalel Bezalel was the the being who built the tabernacle he designed this cosmic structure and if you take his name in Hebrew and look at the geometry of it add up the letter values of Bezalel it comes to 153 so you've got then those two lines joining the corners these two corners to the middle and that represents his name put into the to the cube and the, one other thing that strikes me is I expect everyone knows the story of the Peter and the six disciples going fishing in John chapter 21 the, the, the disciples had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything and there was this man standing on the shore uh, and he said cast your nets on the right side and uh, they did and they couldn't lift the, the net out of the water there were so many fishes and they didn't know it was Jesus because this was after the crucifixion and he, this was his probably first appearance they just see it, saw him as a man that, anyhow it was Jesus and it's a marvellous demonstration of alchemy 
here was this figure directing what it amounted to an act of physical creation in which the fish, the free swimming fish, fish are unorganized matter then you put the net around them and that puts them into a fixed pattern which is physical structure that's what creation, physical creation is about so that's what we're, this is what we're concerned with here so the, the number 153 or 153 in a way links the ex, book of Exodus where the description of the tabernacle is with St John's Gospel in the New Testament through the 153 you've got to see Bezalel's, the, the gematria of Bezalel if you add up the letters in the Hebrew that makes 153 and so there you've got his name 153 and he built the tabernacle well this in a sense is what you might call is the prototype or the basis for the building of the tabernacle and the extra biblical myth, Hebrew myth says that Bezalel used letters as instruments of power he knew how to manipulate letters as, in, as power or energy systems and Uh, because uh, Bezalel is described as building the tabernacle in the Exodus is full of a description of how he built it and here I can't, I'll, I'll bring you something later in a minute which will take that further but not at the moment and the fact is that he built the tabernacle here's his name in the structure and I would say that links it but there is a, there's a, I can say that further in a, in a moment here we've got a square with the positions of the twelve tribes of Israel in what's called the camp of, uh, the, camp of the Israelites if you look at ch uh, chapter 2 of Numbers, the book of Numbers it describes each tribe and its position in the, in the camp and you have up here is Ephraim at that corner that's Dan, Judah and Reuben the four corners and it happens that those four are also the equivalent of the four the four um, fixed signs in astrology so you've got the four corners established as in the fixed signs that is uh, Taurus, Scorpio, uh, Leo and Aquarius this is all drawn in a double four petal lotus these two intersecting vesicas and where they intersect, where they join is where the corners are so the four petals of the lotus make the square at the points where the petals cross over each other you can't see the detail but in each these little squares where the tribes are the positions are also established within within each square it seems to me there are 16 there, not 12 well, there are 12 round the perimeter the others are, um, are um, planets and things like that mm. I'm just concerned about the positions of the, of the tribes and the tribes are all around the perimeter Judah and Reuben those are the four equivalents of the fixed signs in astrology they're also equivalents of lots of other four things like they equate with the four fundamental forces in physics uh, which are um, weak nuclear force which is what operates in stars where stars are forming strong nuclear force which holds the atoms nucleus together electromagnetism and gravity and the interesting thing to me is that gravity is equated with I would equate it with uh, Ephraim anyhow there are, we'll come back to that where it, there are indications of why that should be the thing is that modern physics cannot establish what gravity is they, they can't show anything that makes gravity, that makes things fall you can see things falling but nobody can explain why no they can find those, you see they found the other forces they can show them and show that there's a wave form or there's a photon for instance in light uh, electrons in electricity, electric magnetism but they can't show anything of gravity and that really worries physicists because uh, if they can't prove it the whole thing collapses it doesn't work unless you've got four of them well it's quite clear to me that the people who wrote this, the, the Old Testament knew perfectly well what gravity was and they were, uh, were able to, to use it now this is again the four petal lotus like the last picture but here I haven't, we haven't got the camp of the Israelites just a plain square J, K, L and M 
again at the point where the petals of the lotus cross over each other now this is using the proportions or the measurements that Gly Bond established at Glastonbury when he um, excavated the, the abbey he found that the whole abbey plan is based on a series of 74 foot squares so we start off then with one of his squares which is this one and if that's the square 74 feet then the distance between the tips of the petals is 153 so we come back again to this number 153 well I'm calling it a lotus uh, he call it, <laughs> yeah but it doesn't apply in this case I just call it a lotus but it could be any four petal flower it isn't it, it could, no no it could be a speedwell or something like that which has four petals it's just that it sounds nice to call it a lotus <laughs> it's it is it is yes it is this is also as T.C. Stewart shows in his book on the founding of Indian temples he shows that this geometry is what was used to find to found Hindu temples so that shows how the whole thing is universal because you've got these temples in India using this system and then a medieval building like Glastonbury Abbey using the same and then there's a circle going round which has the same area as the square and that circle has a diameter of 88 feet whereas the size of the square is 74 feet the diameter is 88 and 88 is the gematria of Thoth Thoth, the, 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 the Egyptian god of writing and so on and uh, really the equivalent of Hermes in the Greek pantheon so you've got then uh, an Egyptian figure coming into it as well so um, you could say that medieval Christian architecture, Gothic architecture perhaps is a, a compound of many different uh, origins, many different influences are you, are you saying many different influences or one original source? Uh, one original source, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is the New Jerusalem that's taken by a man called Sterling who uh, he was he was the first person in our time I think to uh, recognize and publish anything on Demetria which he wrote about a hundred years ago and this is just as I say the New Jerusalem where you have this vesic in the middle and these four circles and we shall come back to a similar pattern over and over again and he says that the distance here between the short axis there is about 360 well I would say that it's not about 360 it is 360 and if you take it to be 360 rather the circles the diameter of these circles that make the vesica if they're 360 then the circumference of these small circles is 144 and they are uh, exactly this described in the last chapter of Revelation where it talks about the city with its walls of 144 furlongs I think so in a sense the New Jerusalem then is part of the whole geometric system you've got in here I think am I right in saying that your numbering so far takes into account the golden ratio the golden ratio comes into it yes I'll, I'll wait till you get yeah okay it's uh, I mean I could I hope we shall get that far but the cube has proportions in it from which you can make the golden ratio and that is all related to, uh, to, the, to the number letter cubes if you take I'm going to answer your question if you take this cube it's made up of eight smaller cubes the proportions of those if you take the side of a small cube to be equal to one then the whole big cube will be two won't it because it's made so if you are dealing with your particular question if you take a diagonal across that double cube from there to there and then within one of those right angled triangles you can then produce a geometry which will divide this side by the golden mean therefore the golden mean is part of the proportion part of the whole calculation yes but it's, it's, it's not just the golden mean because it's also one to root through two where the if that's one then the diagonal of the face will be root two which is 1.41414 etc if you take an internal diagonal across the 
from one corner right through the longest straight line you can draw inside the cube then that will be 1 times root 3 You've actually got the Riemann, the Aurora cubit and the megalithic yard They're all contained in those proportions, in those proportions. Yeah, that's really part that's of the, the whole basis of it. Yeah. So it does, the whole system is based on the golden ratio and those standard <laughs> well, well, all of those together The standard units of Yes, uh, and what uh, Bond and Lee call them aonial measures that is, they are basic and unchanging in, in the physical world. They form the whole basis. That, uh, as I understand it, the word aeonial is what it means. Although I don't know that they apply it to the... But my, that's my opinion. Uh, the, the relationship between one and the roots of numbers, which is expressed in here, is aeonial. It's fundamental. So, in fact, the standard unit of measurement from Jericho to the Mayan temples, which is a period from 8,500 BC to um, 800 AD, those measuring units, the Raymond, the Royal Cubit, and the Megalithic, the megalithic Yard, and they were standard measuring units for all buildings. But it didn't stop in 800 AD. I've got examples of... Uh, what? Well, it's certainly up to the 18th century. There's a church in Paris called Saint-Sulpice, which has become very famous through the through Dan Brown's book, The uh, Da Vinci Code. There's a, there's a murder occurs in the book in Sanselpiece Church. Well, Sanselpiece Church is a rectangle, which is exactly that, two by one rectangle, and all the proportions are based on the golden mean expressed in megalithic yards. It's one of the most incredible buildings I've ever seen, and that is only 250 years ago. Still there. Still well, uh, yes, I wouldn't should not thought it is now. It's when the French brought in the metric system. They yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was begun in 1743. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's so recent. Yeah. Yes, it is. And yet, of course, nobody knows about it. Everyone's heard of Notre Dame de Paris. They've never heard of Saint-Sulpice de Paris until Dan Brown made it famous. Because yeah, but I mean, it's, in a way, his book has roused certain things in people, I think, which are... Now, this is the, the basis of the geometry. Using that last one... I'll just go back to that. Where well, you see we've got the four small circles uh, and the vesica in the middle. Well, this one is developing that, again, with the four small circles and the vesica but built into it, onto it, is this diamond shape within the two big overlapping circles. Now these are the, the four jewels of what I call uh, of um, Solomon's ring. The Hebrew mythology says that Solomon had a magic ring which had four jewels in it. One was a whale, the likeness of a whale, one the likeness of a, an eagle, one the likeness of a lion and one the likeness of a man. Now again, those are almost certainly pointing to what I said just now about the four, the four beasts, yeah, the, the four uh, astrological signs, the four fixed signs. The intriguing one in this case is the whale, because it, I've never come across them using a whale before. Usually it's, it's a bull or a calf. But my feeling is they've used the whale to try and get this idea of immense mass and therefore to get across the idea of <coughs> weight, because Ephraim, which is that one, is the one which is a Taurus, which is concerned with gravity. In a sense, the bull is very weighty, but yes. it's not weighty enough. Well, it isn't so obvious. With, uh, bull is, of course, by our standards, much very heavy, but a whale, a whale is even heavier. So, in a sense, it emphasizes even more. But it's not, I don't, I've never come across the whale being used before. The other three are typical. They, you get them there in lots of occasions. Now, coming back now to the second diagram, the cube again, with Bezalel's three numbers, 100, 50 and 3, making, in this case, two sides of a triangle with its apex at the centre of the cube. If you take one of these sides, going from, say, 100 to 50, that is half an internal diagonal, which if we continue it will end at that corner there. That is the longest line you can draw, straight line within the cube. And the line has a length, if we call this side equal to 1, 
then the length of that internal diagonal will be 1 times root 3 which is 173 or 1.73 we'll call it 173 so each of these lines then is half a diagonal and half of 173 is 860 so if you take one side from there to there as being 1 the diagonal going right across to that corner is 1.73 or 173 which is 1 times root 3 so this line then is half that and half of it is 0.864 and if you call that cross out the point and just call it 864 that is the gematria of the Greek Kyrios Deme which means the Lord builds and the Lord is building his tabernacle this is what the the actual Greek term is Kyrios Deme the Lord builds and then it goes on it's the Lord building his tabernacle as I said before this you can regard as the prototype or the basis for the tabernacle for other sacred structures so you've got then in the actual name of the builder of the tabernacle you've got the confirmation and the geometry based on these lines which are derived from the gematria of his name 153 that's Bezalel's name written in Hebrew uh, that's one of the most amazing confirmations I think I've come across where uh, a quite a detailed thing like that which is based on the aonial proportions of the cube actually fits with, the, in that case, the Greek text the Greek text the question is who wrote it, isn't it Nigel? I mean the question is who actually wrote the Torah mm. who wrote the Popol Vuh or who wrote um, the Rig Veda and my feeling is that there was some time in the past when some beings, I don't think I would say they were human not terrestrial came and saw what was going to happen here which is what we're in the thick of now and decided to put this down in the necessary languages with the necessary code written into it and the great thing about Demetria apart from anything else is it's, you can't destroy it because you can fiddle with little bits of the text but it so goes right through the text and so unless you just change the whole of the Old Testament you can't get rid of the, of the code you can mess up little bits of it by tampering with it which of course they either did it deliberately or in some cases they just made a mistake yeah but even when the instructions are strong if you're doing it day after day I reckon most people <laughs> will make mistakes uh, but it doesn't matter so he, uh, because um, Gematris it goes right through every word of the text has a geometric value it means it doesn't matter the, the people whether they do it by mistake or deliberately they cannot damage the message without altering the whole text what mattered was to get it in writing and then at some time which is now uh, it's now being recovered and uh, can be employed at a time when we really need it because they knew that humanity was going right down into the pit and they knew that it would be quite difficult to get out of it so this is part of our escape route if we want it because it's up to each person some people obviously are not going to want to uh, just as a lot of Hebrews didn't want to leave the flesh pots in Egypt in a way they were in the same situation as slaves in Egypt that we are slaves of Walmart now Frederick Bybond and Simcox Lee wrote the, the early book Gematria which was published about 80 years ago uh, based on the, he on the Greek text of the New Testament and this is one of the illustrations in their book Gematria which was republished by Rilko in 1977 and is still, you can still get it so it's, uh, it was one of the main, it's in a sense what I based my book on uh, although I was doing the Hebrew text of the Old Testament and here we have an equilateral triangle with its side the same as the enclosing square so all the three sides of the triangle are the same length as the four sides of the square now if you take that central line to be 80 then that will be 90 and the ratio of 8 to 9 is the ratio of the whole tone, the major whole tone in music so if you had a string which was that long giving you C, the note C then a string that long will give you the note D so the basis of the, of the major scale 
is this ratio of 8 to 9. Now that's quite well known, but no one's ever applied it into, in a triangle. Then, if you take the, the mathematical aspect, half a side, that's 90, so half of it is 45 from E to O, and the ratio of 45 to the height 80 is 1 to root 3. So you've got then the musical proportion of 8 to 9 put into the same geometry of an equilateral triangle of 1 to root 3. 1 to 1.73. And that, I don't think anybody knows that. Uh, at least if they do. I'll I'll just find out... Yes, well it's 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 an interesting combination of two fundamental things. Because as we've already seen, the ratio of 1 to root 3 is, is a fundamental one inside the cube anyway. I shall have to just get a bit closer to see what it's about. Oh yeah, this is um, taking what um, Madame Blavatsky calls a very ancient name of God. Uh, and, you, and writing it in Hebrew. And it's written, it's translated in the English as I am that I am. Which doesn't mean much really. And I think the thing was that the translators into the English text didn't, simply couldn't make sense of it. But if you take I am, as it's, it's really uh, what the Greeks would call Iou, which is again a name of God. It's all the vowel sounds without any consonants. And this is just simply showing how it works again within the cube. You've got from yod to hey, that's the first part of the word, the first two letters, and it goes from right across that cube there, that's the one to root three, and then that one is hey to aleph, which is the diagonal of the face of the cube. So again you've got this the idea of a god's name expressing these ratios. Oh as a god whatever the god or goddess is called, the name contains this uh, energy ratio within it. In a sense I would say that's what matters about the names of deities. Is it one to, one, uh, one to root three. One to root three. Yes, so it's, yes, and, and one to uh, root two. Uh, one to root two is the diagonal of the of the face. That's one. That's root two. The di- root three is the internal diagonal, the longest straight line you can draw inside the cube. So I would say all if, uh, Greek deities and Hebrew deities. Certainly, I would say that's what their names really mean. They are. They embody a particular frequency or combination of frequencies which appears in a three-dimensional structure. But Yahweh wasn't the Greek God. Yahweh, no, Hebrew, it applies to Hebrew as well. And Abraham's God wasn't Yahweh, Abraham's God was um, El- Elion or Shaddai. Yeah, well the thing is that Yahweh comes up a great deal in the text and it's either translated as God or Lord it's God. Hebrew, yes. yes. It's a Hebrew God bolted on much later. Yes, well it's a fairly low level one, but it still applies to Yahweh just as it does to the others. Uh, that the same, Yahweh contains the same, a, a characteristic combination of proportions based on roots of numbers. But Yahweh translates means, means the leader. Well, uh, well. Right the way through the region for the leader and his wife. Yahweh and Asherah or whatever town or village. Hmm. 2,000 years up to the birth of Christ. Well, that's one way of looking. I mean, I was I'm just looking at it in a, what I, in a different way. Whereas I'm concerned with the with the gematria, yeah. just as, as with Zeus, you can see show the same thing there. Zeus is 612 in gematria if you write it in Greek, and uh, that's uh, one. Oh, I can't remember the ratio. It has a ratio to other Greek names like Apollo. I think if you multiply Zeus 612 by um, root three, you get the nature of Apollo, which is 1060. In the, in the Hebrew that's it, No, that's in Greek. Because it's a Greek god. So, you do, but I'm just illustrating, you can do it with both, either Hebrew or Greek. The same rules apply. Yahweh, Zeus, Apollo, Elohim, and so on. 
they're all the rules that the same rules apply. It's, it's based on the gematria, either of the Greek or of the Hebrew. Yeah, but as I said, the Greek cube is defective because it's three, three spaces, yeah, so it's lacking three. Yeah. So it doesn't work quite so well. It does work the same way, but it just isn't as good because you've got three gaps in it. Yeah. This shows the same basic geometry, but with the, the, the cube, the letter cube, drawn inside the geometry, giving the musical proportion. So, if you take this rectangle, J, L, K, M, and call that side, length of that side, again, the, call it eight, that's the major, the note, of, the base note of a major octave, that line then will be nine, which is the, the, li the note above. And the same applies here, eight to nine, uh, and then the diagonal going across the whole way is twice the short side, not those side, but the diagonals are equal to twice the short side, and that then will be the octave. Yes, that's right. So, well, it takes a long time, and uh, so I've shown here how the, the cube actually fits into that musical system because you see here's the, the equivalent of the say the note D when that is C giving you that side of the cube then that distance there again is determined by the 8 and 9 and then the same at this end again you've got 8 and 9 giving that side of the cube there again that side and so on so this justifies or establishes the letter cube in relation to the musical proportions which are inherent in the whole geometry and that just uh, makes it clear in relation to the triangle which we saw before here you have the equilateral triangle with its eight, nine and that's the half length there again giving the sides of the cube and you could of course draw that in at the other end to give that end of the cube And I've just done some of the, the letters of the cube in just to see that where they come at the corners. Equilateral triangle again, drawn now within the overlapping circles. So that its, lot, its base side is EF, the main, the uh, radius of the two overlapping circles whose centres are at E and F. So this puts the equilateral triangle into the picture based on the overlapping circles which produce the fish vesica which is A, B, E, F, this vesica at the middle, in the middle here. This is based on uh, some stuff in a book called God's Secret Formula by a man called Peter Flister who um, was a pharmacist and then branched out into things like, well, maths and chemistry of all sorts. And he, again, like Stan Tennant with the cube of letters, had this brilliant invention, discovery, that if you take rings of numbers starting at 1 and going up to 24 and then starting again in the next ring going from 25 to 48 and you can go on up so 168, that's uh, seven rings of 24, you then get a pattern of prime numbers, which are the ones with the rings around them, which make a Templar cross. Now, mathematicians claim that prime numbers have no pattern, that they don't, if you look at them, you go on up. Prime numbers, I hope everybody knows what a prime number is, do they? Does everyone know what a prime number is? Yep. It, it can only be divided by one in itself, it won't be divided by anything else. No, it isn't, it's an odd one, it's the one where it transfers from one ring to the next. Uh, I, can, I mean, he does give an explanation of why 25 comes in, but I don't want to go into that because it involves other things. But anyhow, all the rest of them are primes, and as I say, if you draw seven of these rings, they make the perfect Templar cross. So, uh, in a sense, the mathematicians are wrong in saying there's no prop there's no pattern in prime numbers 
the only thing is you can't go on further. I don't think you could take it beyond seven rings, probably. Bond and Lee established things called numbers of perfection. And the ones that I've done in black are Bond and Lee's, apart from that one, I think, are their numbers of perfection. They also turn out to be prime numbers. And uh, the first, the last number of perfection, it goes from 7, 13, 19, 25, and then out to 31, 37, and 43. The last one, 43, if you multiply that by 10, 430, that's the gematria of the word arithmos. And arithmos is, in Greek, we would translate as number. And so it's showing that the Greek gematria confirm that it's a, a fundamental numerical structure. The other one, 430, is also the gematria of the Greek nomos, which is the uh, gematria of a uh, Greek word meaning um, the basis of, of everything, really. So it's showing how fundamental prime numbers are. Now, there is, some mathematicians are interested in what they call 24-hour clocks, and this is an example of that sort of thing, only used in a different way. Now, here we come to what we were talking about earlier, the dividing of a line by the golden mean. If you uh, take two of the, a double cube, and just take the two sides, these are the two cubes looked at end-on in the cube of letters, and I've just put in the relevant letters taken out of the main three-dimensional cube. So we have there now a two-dimensional structure with two sides of the cube joined together to make a rectangle which is, has proportions of one to two. If you then draw this diagonal to make a 90-degree uh, triangle, you put your compass point there and draw that arc to make X on the diagonal, then you put your compass point there and draw an arc with uh, a radius of Cx down to give you that point Y, then the ratio of C of V to Y, V to Y to C to Y is 1 to 1.618, so that is 1, that's 1.618, that is the golden mean ratio, so that's a, ge uh, a geometrical way of getting uh, division into the golden mean proportion uh, ratio. That's a perfect measure, the perfect number. And the we have a Riemann, yes, which is about the forearm, yeah, um, on the sides of the two same squares. And the royal cubit is two of those. So two of your mm. forearms. Yeah, royal cubit is above. Yeah. And the line across is the megalithic yard. Yeah. Which so is one to root five, isn't it? That, is that one to root five, that ratio? Yeah. So that, that, is, that is the whole basis of how buildings were constructed from mm. the earliest times. That magical yeah. golden ratio on which all sacred geometry is based. Well, that's, as I say, it's one of the aonial ratios in the cube, of which the other roots of numbers are the others. So you go root two, root three, in this case root five, uh, root six, I can't remember which that, I think, no, I'm not sure about root six. But anyhow, that's certainly up to root five. All of them contained within the cube. Now we come to the, what's called the menorah, or the seven, the six branch candlestick. So it's got a main stem with the main light here in the middle, and it's got three candles on each side. And I've drawn this within a, a series of cubes one inside the other, of which that cube is the cube of numbers, which is what we've been dealing with, and using the proportions of the candlesticks, you can get the prime numbers arranged in that way, and I'll show you in the next one how that's done. What you do is you start off with the first ring that Peter Plichter had from 1 round to 24, the, the prime numbers marked with rings. You turn it the other way up and then open it out so that you get a half circle here with what was at the top now at the bottom and then you have your 
prime numbers arranged around the half circle. So that's how you get to those. You then make a straight line and that is your line of candle lights and also the relevant prime numbers. This is again using the basis of the last one with the three cubes and the candles but in this case I've drawn in the text of the first verse of Genesis in Hebrew. So here you've got in the beginning or rather no, that's the gods in the beginning created heaven and earth. Uh, this is Stan Tennant's work again. He pointed out the Hebrew text can be divided into uh, the first verse of Genesis can be divided into seven parts and here they are and you relate them then I put them in relation to each candle of which the central one as Stan Tennant points out that is Aleph Tav is not translated so you have in the beginning God created heaven and earth you've got six the seventh one is not translated and it's that is what is the higher energies the creative energies coming in what we call Sunday if you take um, the idea that the story is that everything was created in a week then you have the seven days of the week six days of which were employed in actually producing physical creation the seventh was what's called the rest day or Sunday but in this case Sunday isn't at the beginning of the week or the end it's in the middle in other words the day in which nothing happens because this is not perceptible physically this is higher energies creative energies coming into the physical to produce the effects which are described as in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Uh, this is the Hebrew version yeah. um, and it, there is an alternative translation well, there are many. which matches with the very early Sumerian text mm. which is about the shining ones not the creating but clearing mm. the highlands uh, and about not God in heaven but the Elohim or mm. the shining ones mm. in the Hashemin planted highlands mm. um, and a totally practical story of a restart of civilization by a small group of people at Kar Sag which is the same place as Eden and Kar Sag means head enclosure so this is a new creation you mean? so it was a restart of civilization yes. after so all the Christian mythology and Christian version of events which we've been all brought up to as Christians um, is what the Jews wanted people to believe at that mm. point in time mm. and they created their own particular brand of religion which was then um, commandeered by the Church of Rome mm. But of course this has nothing to do with religion at all No It's, 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 a, it's, it's a describing a, a creative it is, act It is, it is a, it's a marrying together of that system yes. and the Jewish interpretation uh, or the Jewish text Hebrew text which is based on much earlier material yes. uh, and it can be retranslated more accurately as down to earth story yes. of farmers after a major catastrophe which would have involved the flood but there were many many floods yeah. mm. and the, the major catastrophe was about nine and a half thousand BC so we've got um, we've got something like eight and a half thousand years of history and activity which we can plot from the agricultural record and all sorts of other sciences mm. before the Bible Genesis we're talking about was actually even written down. Yeah. Have you read Graham Hancock's Heaven's Mirror? Um, because yeah. that's got uh, that gives a lot of evidence for succession of floods. Um, with a, each one was rising, the water rising more each time. It's quite clear, I think, from the Hebrew text that this isn't a something made of brass or metal or wood. It's actually it's meant to symbolise a a growing thing, in fact an almond tree I think is probably the best uh, way of putting it so we're dealing not with uh, candlesticks but with a living organism, a tree and so that's the, that's the terminal bud then and these are branch, branches off the main stem I'll come on to a more detailed thing on that in a minute yeah here we are, you see this I've applied to a of the almond family it's actually could we call it a rose hip but the point is that here you've got the different parts of the flower related to the different candle of the, uh, of the stick different candlesticks well this the ovary here being the, the central one 
and these being the branches off it the different parts of the flower that is the, the uh, calyx petals and these are the stamens and then this is the gynecium or the ovary with the seeds or the, the ovules inside it so it's actually relating the idea of the candlestick to what it's meant to be which I'm sure is this living thing the almond tree or whatever the plant might be and this is just another example of the using the the seven the um, candlestick here we've got it laid out across the cube from across the, from one corner to another the the, the the longest line you can draw inside the cube from the first letter Alice through none at the middle the letter none ending up with final sadie at the diagonally opposite corner again with the seven lights occurring across that line and there's a the first chapter of Revelation says I turned and being turned I beheld one like unto the son of man well I'm pretty certain it wasn't the viewer being turned what was actually happening was that the cube was being turned to reveal what appeared to be a single light if you look along this line with your line of sight parallel to the line then it would appear as one but if you then turn it you see it's three dimensions and you see in fact there are seven well that's I think what John was describing in Revelation when the turning occurred then it was possible to see that what appeared to have been one light was seven with this particularly large one that like unto the son of man and of course you could spell son as s-u-n-o-s-o-n and it's probably meant to be a pun so the sun is in a physical sense the s-u-n is the source of energy source of life s-o-n is referring to perhaps to uh, Jesus now we come to another aspect of the whole thing which is the breastplate which is described in great detail in Exodus and it consists of again this rectangle whose side short side is equal to half its diagonal and it has four rows, rows of jewels so these are all different jewels and it describes what they are though it doesn't there's sometimes different variants according to the translation but it doesn't really matter the thing is he's got it strapped onto his chest and what's going on is a these are it's an array uh, an electronic array which is uh, used to deal with incoming energies so the high priest's job is to take the energies in the breastplate and to modulate them and then distribute them uh, that's what a high priest does that's what Pharaoh does that's what Solomon does that's what the role is really is, is um, a modulator of these immensely powerful energies coming into the temple where he's, or the cathedral or whatever it is it happens that this the Egyptian hieroglyph there is a hieroglyph which is exactly like this which suggests that this is in fact based on an Egyptian system now we're coming to the it's, it's, it's unfortunately complicated because it's got a whole lot of different parts put together here this is what the inner part of the temple really consists of and you've got the four jewels or the four fundamental forces here you've got the inner part here which is the, whole, the most holy place the tribes arranged in their camp outside around the temple around the tabernacle and then you've got Solomon's carpet here which is this six by six magic square although it appears as a diamond here because it's being viewed at a 45 degree angle if you look at it from directly above this forms a square, a magic square where the numbers of there are numbers in each square and they all add up to 111 I think each line and the total comes to 666 which is the solar number Can I just stop you on that? Yeah Because that carpet in the form that we're viewing it now yeah. is very very similar to the bush barrow rosin and also another lozenge of exactly the same design which is found in South Dorset now these two artifacts were in gold and in grey mm, mm. and the suggestion is that the angles were of the declination of the sun and the moon mm. and the extremes of solar and lunar year mm. and um, it may well be that that's, that is that's not the case it may well be we're looking at a, uh, a link to the people 
who made those gold objects at 2500 BC and mm. their links from the, from the, the land of Phoenicia or whatever came before Phoenicia came I think the thing is that they probably true that it, all these things apply and it's uh, a combination of them in fact, I wouldn't say it doesn't indicate the sun and moon declination, but it isn't just that, it's yes, other well, things. that principle yes. in order to be able to do the calculations yes. at that, that particular latitude. And that would have been different at different latitudes. And of course the thing is, unless it's at 45 degrees, it doesn't fit into the geometry. Yes. So uh, that's essential for that purpose, that it should be at 45 degrees, because he's uh, the solar being, solar man, sun of man, uh, uh, when you say S-U-N of man, sun of man, uh, and, and it's all the Hebrew um, myth says he had a magic carpet. One of the, he said it has a magic ring and a magic carpet. Uh, and this, I would say, really fits him really well because of the number. He's a solar being. Suleiman was the same. So he's the equivalent. Yeah. Out here, there are four examples of the crystal structure in what's called a crystal called olivine or chrysolite which is one of the twelve holy city jewels and it consists of these, partly consists of these uh, tetrahedra of silica with an oxygen in the middle and four, uh, silica in the middle and four oxygen uh, atoms arranged around it and I put them in because if you draw it as it should be in a crystallographic uh, textbook it defines various key places, points in the rest of the geometry. You see how that corner of the tetrahedra makes that the corner of the camp there where Aquarius or Reuben is. The centre of this tetrahedron makes that corner. That corner then there of the tetrahedra makes that one in the camp and then the centre there again makes that corner. So these tie up all the rest of the stuff, the rest of the geometry, to a crystal, a specific crystal structure, which itself is one of the twelve city jewel, uh, holy city jewels as well. Uh, this is the sort of thing it's really very difficult to deal with because it's got so much in it and uh, it's better to, to read the book and you can then sort of work up to it. But what I really want to get across is the fact that these establish a crystallographic basis when we've already got a musical one contained within this rectangle and the lines within it and uh, the geometrical one based on the two intersecting circles which give this Pisces the big fish in the middle. This then, this inner rhombus here, diamond, is the most holy place. So that's the heart of the system where the high priest goes, no one else is allowed in and no, he, even he only goes once a year and the reason I'm pretty certain was is because it's highly radioactive and even with protective clothing which they did have uh, they were very particular about putting protective clothing on even then uh, they couldn't stand more than one dose a year the breastplate was um, probably yes I would think that was part of it yes well, because the breastplate had other, had other things as well. It was operating in a more positive way as well, not just a, as a protection. And this is just a drawing of Solomon's apparatus or tools without all the other stuff. And you can see how you've got this intersecting pair of equilateral triangles making a six-pointed star, and that is Solomon's seal. Well, that's why it's called Solomon's Seal, because it forms the basic framework for both his carpet, which is the big diamond, and for the positions of his four, uh, uh, the settings of his jewels. So you've got the ring here in the middle with the jewels set in it, based, as you can see, I think, on these two interlocking triangles of the Solomon Seal, and then the magic carpet outside it. So that confirms the Hebrew mythology in geometric terms that that's, and it explains the term Solomon's seal. Just, can you say again where the circles, the basis of putting the circles where they are? Centres are determined by the geometry of the, the, four triang the two triangles anyway, but it doesn't show up here. Yeah. This shows the path of energy flow through the system. Now if you assume that the energy comes from 
some inconceivable source which you could call God if you wish it's not we can't it's nothing it's not perceptible to us so at some it comes down and at some point it enters the physical system and that I've said is we take it as being there so you've got it spiraling down from some um, inconceivable source and becomes physical here it then flows through the system and then out again and up again at the other end now this is caught at one moment in movement because in fact the whole thing is rotating around this long axis at the same time and of course this you could say is a, just a, a, a diagram of uh, alternating current in electricity the whole thing is spinning so at one moment it's going through going this path the next moment it's going through the opposite path so as it spins of course if you look at um, Jacob's ladder which is in a sense another way of portraying that flow uh, it actually says that je- the angels were passing up and down in his dream um, well the angels are I would say are exactly that the energies the, the creative energies coming down into the physical and going up again into the higher realms I don't know what the proportion of the tabernacle are I don't know that anybody does at least they may claim to but I think that my feeling about the tabernacle is probably that it's the proportions are not anyhow they're not something I've ever felt concerned about it's other aspects of it and particularly to do with someone mentioned the 72 elders well the 72 elders and the 24 thrones in uh, Revelation chapter 4 I think or something in Revelation are I would say are an array in the same sense as the perhaps as the breastplate is an array of jewels these are an array set out to receive and distribute the the creative energy so that's what the tabernacle did and because it was portable it meant that it, wherever they they went through the wilderness they always had this center with them which they could set up and get it going wherever they happened to be and John Michel says similar things about the Great Pyramid he says that uh, the Great Pyramid had the same function uh, that it brought in higher energies and then distributed them around in a probably in some sort of spiral into the surrounding area so that the welfare of the Egyptian people and everything to do with them was based on this stuff coming into the pyramid and of course the, the way in which the Egyptologists still go on saying that it's a tomb and that, that, that whatever we call it inside the sarcophagus was in fact for a burial it's just it's so ridiculous that they they can't never get any further than that that's just all they can think of is a burial place a man called um, Paul Brunton spent a night he managed to persuade the guard on the gate of the pyramid to let him stay the night and he went and lay down in the great, in the sarcophagus in the, in the king's chamber and he said that suddenly he began to feel as if he was losing the feeling in his feet and it gradually spread up and then this, great, this figure appeared and the figure was a priest I think and took him down into places where we don't know about in the pyramid down below until they came to a point where he said, I can't take it, I can't take you any further than this. And then he said, he got, uh, no, another occasion, he got the whole, the um, sarcophagus lifted on shear legs or something, so it was suspended, and then he struck it with a hammer, and it, it produced this marvellous bell-like tone. So obviously it's a harmonic structure, and I'm sure, uh, I can't remember what the proportions are, but it's another example of the sort of thing that I've got in the geometry, it's all, dependent on how, on the proportions of it. Um, the Ark of the Covenant has been talked and written about a lot. Would you like to relate that? I don't know whether it's a particular thing any more than the Grail Cup is. I sure thought it may be a sort of basic or a design of something that sounds the nearest we can get to is a, 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 a nuclear reactor. And the, the effect of it when people didn't know how to handle it, like the first times who stole it and then wished they hadn't. It describes they, were, they got uh, what are called um, tumours and um, hemorrhoids and boils and things in their secret parts. So it's just saying what happens with the nuclear 
radiation it affects particularly the reproductive uh, system mm. and um, you get other examples where people got too near to it even handled it and, and uh, it killed them so it was obviously a very potent uh, energy source one thing that I found interesting was the cherubs you know, the cherubim, one on each end in Greek that's Kuvrim written in Greek letters and that's uh, the gematria of that is 576 which is the gematria of the word pneuma which is spirit or breath mm. so it's all to do with again this creative energy mm. so properly conducted and handled with good protection and so on it was a very positive source of um, creative, you know, creative stuff so it was, it was promoted the, the well-being of, of um, peace have we any idea who amongst incarnate people who actually first worked out with the Sinatra or are we I mean you said you thought it was extraterrestrials who originally did it but that I would think the use of Jamaica I mean the writing of the Torah for instance surely was before Solomon mm, um, it's really intriguing to know how far the scribes who transcribed the book knew at all what they were doing, whether they understood the nature. And you see, the annoying thing is, where did Sterling get his stuff from when he wrote the, um, I can't remember the name of the book, again, Wilco produced and um, published it, The Canon, that's right, Sterling's book, The Canon. It's uh, it's a very, it's not terribly easy to read, but it's, very, it's full of, of a lot of of amazing stuff, particularly it's on... The yeah, it's the earliest I know of. I don't know whether Bond and Lee used Sterling's book when they wrote their book, uh, and if not, where they got it from. They must have got, they must have somehow got information to start with to know that something like that existed. Can anyone, uh, sorry, I'll let most people ask just one more brief question. Can anyone work out the gematria of their name and mm. what it means? Well, you have to somehow transcribe it into Hebrew or Greek. I, see. I had there is a numer numerological system to apply to our alphabet, mm. which is just one to nine. You should go from A to I, and then from J to R is again one to nine, and then from S to Z is one to eight. So if you use those, if you, that does produce, I would say, interesting stuff. And you need to know what the numbers mean, of course, because that's a, that's an astrological in a sense, because their one is um, the sun and so on. Uh, and then you go up to, then there are figures, if you're adding up letters uh, and you get, say, a number which ends add up to 11 or multiple 11 of 11, you leave it at that. Otherwise, you always reduce them to a single figure. The two uh, super vibrations is Pluto which is 11 and Vesta which is 22 and if you get either of those or multiples then you s stop it there and high high beings, beings at a high level often have 22 22 is not common at um, all, so I can't think, well, I do know of an example where I actually know it was deliberately chosen perhaps it always is, someone was given a name which actually added up to 22 and they live up to that, I mean that matches the, the person mm. 